0: to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community.
1: Good morning, Memphis. Welcome to our weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. I am Anna Mullins-Ellis, the CEO and president of New Memphis. We are a local nonprofit that is working to make Memphis magnetic for talent like you, uh, we are here today to, uh,
0: with one of our TED segments, so this is our Continuing TED. Christy, what is Continuing TED all about? Hey guys, I'm Christy Mullen with New Memphis, and twice a month we will be bringing you episodes we are referring to as Continuing TED, which is just what they sound like, a continuing conversation where we are inviting you know, past TED speakers to revisit their talks and do more of a deep dive into their chosen topics.
1: Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, we're going to continue to educate you. Uh, TEDx Memphis is a local version of what you would know as TED Talks. So once a year, we put on a big TEDx conference where we bring in local speakers who have amazing ideas that were generated here in Memphis. Uh, and we invite them to the TED stage to share their thoughts, uh, to give talks on what both is important to Memphis, but also making sure that ideas that are being developed here in memphis uh have application across the world so uh our speaker today or i'm sorry our, our guest today <laughs> is uh, ned canty he is here with us uh, he's the director of opera memphis and again it's a local organization it's an amazing opera house it's doing incredible work but we think that they have some best practice that can be applied all over the world um, opera is obviously something that's not just enjoyed here in memphis
0: yes so Ned's going to join us in a minute. Christy, do you want to tell us a little bit more about Ned? Yeah, like you said, Ned is the General Director with Opera Memphis and he's here to talk about his 2016 TED Talk, Opera Doesn't Suck, which I love, a simplified title. You know what you're getting yourself into. I was going to say, it's straightforward
1: <laughs> and to the point.
0: And it's fabulous, as you guys will hear later. But he's here to talk about that and how he is striving to make opera more accessible to the masses with his unique approach to classical art. So I'm very excited.
1: Yeah, we are super lucky, Memphis, to have Ned Canty here in our city doing his work. So without further
0: ado, let's welcome Ned. All right. Welcome, Ned. Thank you for being here in studio with us today.
2: Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Super excited to have you here to talk about your TED Talk that you gave in 2016. Oh, my Um, gosh. I know, right? Yeah. So I just kind of want to, for the people listening, just give us a little backstory about who you are and what brought you to Memphis.
2: Oh, gosh. So, uh, well, I trained as an actor. And then in my 20s, I stumbled into opera as a director. And fell in love, as you'll hear in some of the <laughs> TED Talk excerpts, yes. maybe. Uh, and I took a little bit of a detour uh, from 2005 to 2010, and I worked for the New York Television Festival, founding, uh, found, it, helping found that, and uh, running it for five years. And after five years, I realized that if I was going to be behind a desk most of the day, I would rather do that for opera <laughs> than for TV, which I still love com- yeah. tremendously. Uh, but I decided to make that shift and I started looking for companies that were looking for a general director, uh, which is the opera equivalent of an executive director. It just means I do the the art and the business. Uh, <laughs> you have to do it. all the things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I argue in my head a lot uh, with, with this job. You know, We need to spend X. No, you can't spend X. That kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, in 2010, I uh, applied for this job and got it. And January 10th, 2011, I drove here from Philadelphia and I've never looked back.
0: Well, Memphis is very, very lucky to have you here. Um, you're such a like magnetic personality to watch and I'm very excited for everybody to get to hear your TED talk later. Um, so since you're here with us now at Opera Memphis, kind of I know this year in particular, the dreaded hashtag 2020 has been (laughs) difficult for everyone, um, but has especially hit our arts and culture scene very hard. Um, Kind of what is Opera Memphis doing right now to kind of mitigate that?
2: You know, in in some ways we were fortunate compared to a lot of our our colleagues and especially a lot of our, our peer opera companies around the country. Because for eight years now, we've done this program, 30 Days of Opera, every September, where we go out and we perform in every zip code in Memphis. And uh, we perform on street corners. We perform in pubs and coffee shops. Uh, we walk around Overton Square singing. So we, we had a, a template. We had a model So in March, when we had to shut down our our spring chamber music festival, uh, which was going to be focused on Mozart, we had to we were midway through rehearsing the shows and everything. We had to shut it all down. Within a week, we had borrowed a trailer that we could attach to the back of our van. And we were driving into neighborhoods and we were doing concerts uh, that we now call Sing to Me. Uh, (laughs) We did these at first, we just did them in neighborhoods uh, on a lottery basis. And then when it became clear that this was not a month long thing, but much longer, (laughs) uh, we took a a little bit of time. We did a bunch of digital stuff at first. Uh, In April, we did a digital version of 30 days, so 30 days of online content Uh, and Then we started offering these concerts that, you know, you could bring it to your neighborhood and we would do an hour of opera, an hour of musical theater, an hour of the two combined. And so we we really haven't stopped. All we've done is uh, sort of moved out of the opera house, which which, again, we we had a template for it. it. It wasn't hard for us to say, okay, you know, what what can we do if we can't be inside? Well, we do the things that we've been doing for eight years and we try to. Fulfill our mission just by doing those things. Uh, the only real wrinkle was when the trailer got stolen uh, oh, out of our no. parking lot, and that, like yeah, that. it was uh, that was a bummer. Uh, yes, I, 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 I. If you're listening to this oh, really. and you
0: stole the trailer, please bring <laughs> it back to its honor.
2: You know, a lot of people don't don't uh, realize that I'm a New Yorker until they hear me right after I learned that our trailer was stolen, <laughs> and that's when my New Yorker really comes out. Uh, so. But we were able to raise money, thanks to some very generous donors online. We raised money to uh, replace that trailer, the awesome. borrowed one, to give it back to the person who who loaned it to us, and buy a new one. And so we've been using that ever since to do performances all over town. and we're we're getting ready to expand that. We've done some outdoor uh, performances at GPAC as well, at the Dixon, things like that. but we're we're trying to be as nimble as possible. But you know, we had asked ourselves a question, several years back that a lot of our peers hadn't, which was what is, what's the sort of atomic level of what we do? What is the irreducible factor in making opera? And we realized it's the singer. So if you take a talented singer and you put them somewhere and you have them sing to an audience, whether it's one person or 10 people or a thousand people, then opera is happening. So we had already kind of come to that conclusion whereas our colleagues, uh, again, at peer companies hadn't necessarily. So So we were very fortunate compared to, to to some, but we've never stopped singing since this whole thing started.
1: Yeah, we love to hear that. And I, I think at New Memphis, of course, we're always lifting up those assets that, New Mem- or that Memphis as a city can be authentically proud of. And Opera Memphis is always on that list for us because yeah. you know, not every city has an opera company, yeah. first of all. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we have that happening in our city but it is i think truly one of the more innovative (laughs) i mean like you guys are doing stuff that no one else is doing i know that people have learned from you and Mm -hmm. and taken some best practice and they're applying it in their cities Mm -hmm. so you you talked a little bit about the kind of why of bringing opera out into the community i mean obviously you know so but talk a little bit about you know how does that change why would an opera house not be doing that first of all and like Mm. And how does it change the way in which you guys have approached, you know, what can be very classic texts that, mm-hmm. that that have to be, you know, what kind of updating has to happen for that to translate into a 30 days of opera setting sure. or on the back of a trailer?
2: You know, classic texts, I'm I'm going to uh, switch this over to some food metaphors because they're always useful for this. And I'm a large man, if you've seen <laughs> any, this is radio, but trust me, <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoy my food. Um you know, if you look at uh, somebody like Kelly English, fabulous chef, totally Memphis, he had Iris, but at a certain point, he wanted to expand his product line. He wanted to have a sort of different experience, different price point, and he started second line. You look at Andy and Michael, and they've opened a whole bunch of different restaurants that all have sort of different approaches to this. So so for us, it it really, when we started doing this, it really was about saying, well, if all we sell are three-course French meals or Italian meals or whatever, that's always going to be a kind of limited thing. And why not also try to find a way that we could do some carry-out or find a way that we could do a 10-course meal sometimes or maybe somebody only wants our bread and we find a way to allow them to buy our bread. And so not to sound too businessy about (laughs) it, but it it seemed pretty straightforward. But of course, opera for many years had been – in America sort of pitched to people as this very elevated experience that was the 10-course meal with, you know, servers wearing, you know, fancy dress or whatever. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but if if you're like me, the best meal you've ever had is probably not the most expensive meal you've ever had. The good meals you have are the ones that you spend with friends, with family where there's something about it that's unique and new and interesting. It's not just about the money and you know, so there's there's been a shift I think in in how Americans think of value in general, but how Americans think about value in terms of of cultural activities and we've just tried to respond to that really. It's it's uh, it's, it's fairly simple. As to why other uh, other opera companies don't do it, I think a lot of them do, but they're not in Memphis. And you know, Memphis uh, I'm fortunate and a lot of my colleagues are jealous Because we're a city that that leans into this kind of thing, you know, innovation is in our DNA, it's in our our blood and trying out new things, having things rub up against each other, high and low culture rub up against each other. That's just something that we've been doing for a century. We don't even realize we're doing it. We do it so well. And so we're able to try things out. We're able to innovate. We have so many amazing artists in town. And so many amazing artists nationally that want to come and spend a week or a month in Memphis because who doesn't want to do that? Mm -hmm. That we're able to try things that some of our our colleagues, especially at larger companies – they just can't pivot like that. You know, they're a battleship and we're a little speedboat, which is, you know, good and bad. Sometimes, uh, you know, we I, I look at the resources, you know, the Met can put, uh, you know, an opera online every night for a year because that's how many operas they videotape. Well, we don't have that. But what we have is relevant to our city in a way that what they are putting online is not. So. So, yeah, I don't know why other folks don't do it. Some do. Some have consulted with us, uh, our friends in Seattle and New Orleans, other cities. We gave them advice. We told them what equipment we bought to do what we've done. Other places like the New York Philharmonic just started doing it, and the New York Times gave them credit for coming up with the idea because the New York Times, you know, I'm sure they think (laughs) we do our operas with a jug band instead of the (laughs) Memphis Symphony, but that's the New York Times. What are you going to do?
1: Well, I, you know, in the underpinnings of what you're talking about, bringing opera into community and sort of challenging um, the sort of high-end perception of opera does create accessibility. Yeah. And in a city like Memphis, um, that to me feels hugely important. And I see that across uh, all of our art institutions. Um, but it's so interesting to see it again in those ones that sort of have that, the veneer of, well, that this is this is the white tablecloth of art. Um, so how how has that informed creating a diversity in your audience, creating accessibility for all audiences in Memphis. How does, how does that drive the way in which you guys create your programming?
2: Sure. I, you know, I think a lot of it is just about thinking, who, who do you have a responsibility to? And like any other nonprofit, we don't pay taxes because we're supposed to be a public good. We're supposed to be here for everybody. Otherwise, we should be paying taxes. And the product that we traditionally have created which is a large expensive and beautiful amazing product it is you know these masterworks that are 3 or 400 years old 200 years old that we still do well there's a reason why people are still moved by this music or moved by these stories and that is they are they are a part of our mission but the mission expands far beyond that, you know, it, it, you need to think about what is relevant, what is going to move other folks. And, you know, if, if you plan, if you spend 90% of your time reaching a fairly small audience with one very huge product, then you're not really exploring what you can do. If you spend, you know, I guess the way we first put it with 30 days of opera was, Well, we spend 90% of our time trying to encourage people to come and experience a two-hour experience. What if we took 10% of the budget that we used to do that? And instead of trying to get a couple of thousand people to come to a two-hour experience, we tried to get 200,000 to come to a 10-minute experience. And that question, that, that basic question, just allowed us to... To open it up a little bit, and you know, I, I think that not everybody's going to like opera. That's one of the most important things to start out with. I think a lot of people worry that if they don't like opera, somehow that will say, "Oh, I'm uncultured," or you know, that's too highfalutin for me. The number of people since I got here said, "Oh, I'm just a redneck. I don't like that kind of thing." <laughs> you know, and often these are people who run hedge funds, but you know, whatever. Uh, you know, people worry that somehow if they don't like it, that is that that tars them somehow. And as someone who plays video games and watches television and loves all kinds of culture, all kinds of storytelling, I can tell you your tastes are your own. Your tastes are valid. Whatever they are, whatever you like, whatever moves you, that is worthwhile. And you owe it to yourself to see if you're going to be moved by opera because a lot of people are and a lot of people have been. But if you're not, totally cool. So, you know, you start out with that as an idea and then you try – you give permission to people to sample it. And see if it's for them the way that, you know, my mother-in-law sampled sushi for the first time when she visited my wife and I in Queens years ago Mm -hmm. and didn't think she was going to like it, was already making a face before she took the first bite and ended up loving it. So, you know, sometimes it's just about trying to give people permission to try something that they think they won't like. And of course, in the case of opera, you've got all of media, it seems, combining to try to tell people they won't like it. You know, the Alexa, Amazon Alexa, just did a commercial over the summer basically telling people opera's boring. And I wanted to do a video in return where I smashed an Alexa just to show them (laughs) This is boring, buddy. But, you know, so people people take pot shots at opera, and they they every time somebody does one of those, every time Jeff Bezos decides that he'll kick opera when it's down, well, all that does is it makes me think, okay, we're going to show them. We're going to do something that shows them. It's not boring. You're wrong. Stay in Seattle or wherever the hell you live, Bezos,
1: <laughs> with your bald head,
2: and let us make some opera that moves people.
1: This is... Now officially a like Jeff Bezos like, <laughs> slam session, and I'm fine with that. Like, I got <laughs> all the time in the world. To talk about. I was like, meanwhile, in
0: Memphis not sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, that that's an excellent transition into your TED Talk. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that message is as pertinent in 2016 as it is today. So um, obviously, Opera Memphis is committed to bringing opera to modern audiences in a meaningful and accessible way, as though we've discussed. Um you know I think this uh, I got to be the person so you were part of our second uh TED conference and mm-hmm. in the first TED conference which was amazing we had in 2015 was our first our first event and we had this incredible group of speakers but I don't think I laughed like once the whole it was like a very intense day it's like of lots of brilliance and lots of just like incredible ideas um, but it's so funny. And I think it's like the Ted brand, like people are just afraid mm-hmm. to laugh in a yeah. way. They're like, I have to, you know, get up in front of the the red letters and the blue light and like pour my heart out and also like change people's lives. Um, and I feel like I love your Ted talk and it really opened up my mind as we think every year about what kind of Ted speakers we want, because it embraces what I think is a really important topic uh, about an art that you love and mm-hmm. many people love and making sure that we're creating, uh, an environment where people don't feel like it's inaccessible both logistically but also what you described i mean everything about you know whether it's the ticket price is a barrier or it's just like i won't understand it i won't like it i i watched that terrible commercial um (laughs) so i love the 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 title i think sets up the the theme and the tone so perfectly (laughs) because opera doesn't suck um (laughs) so let's take a break let's listen into the ted talk and we'll come back
2: So just to start, I'm curious how many people, just by show of hands, have been to an opera? Just Okay, wow, fabulous. How many to an opera here in Memphis? Okay, so almost that many. Uh, How many of you would rather be beaten with bamboo rods than go to an opera? Yes, you are my people. You are who I'm here to talk to. Because for a very long time, I was just like you. So this is me in 1991, when my greatest dream was to be an actor. That's my actual headshot. Yes, that is my real hair. Uh, It's also the year, coincidentally, when I saw my first opera. It was La Boheme, one of the greatest operas of all time. I got a free ticket to a dress rehearsal while I was in college. I went, didn't really like it. I was sitting way in the back, didn't really know what was going on. I couldn't see the translations that they were projecting above the screen, so I couldn't follow anything, and uh, I was kind of distracted. I had a lot of work to do the next day. Uh, So I figured, well, I didn't like it. I guess opera just isn't for me. Uh, Five years later, I'd become a director. Thankfully, I realized that the last thing the world needed was another pretty good actor, uh, even if he was taller than average. Uh, You can tell I'm now a director because I'm wearing a tie and tiny little glasses. (laughs) I was working in that year at Hartford Stage Company for a man named Mark Lamos. I was his assistant director, and I also understudied every male role in every show they did that season, for which I got $150 a week. At the end of that season, he said, hey, why don't you come up with me uh, for the summer, assist me on an opera. And I said, Mark, you know, uh, I've never studied music, I don't read music, I don't speak Italian, Uh, I didn't even study Latin, so, you know, that doesn't help. Uh, I've only ever seen one opera, and I didn't really like it, so I think I'm a bad candidate for this job. He said, it it pays three times what you're getting paid now. And I said, so tell me more about opera. (laughs) Because after a year of 150 a week, I had debts. Now, I assumed that what I was in for was a sort of fun summer adventure uh, with a world that looked like this. I figured I would buy a top hat, a monocle, uh, I would spend a couple of weeks eating grape poupons straight from the jar, (laughs) I would fit right in. Instead, I ended up at this fabulous place, Glimmerglass Opera in Cooperstown, New York, where people happily wear cargo shorts and flip-flops to the opera, and nobody cares, because the only thing that matters is great art on the stage. It doesn't matter who is sitting around you, it doesn't matter what they're wearing, none of that matters. So I was reintroduced to opera at the age of 26, in this wonderful place, and I fell in love. Uh, five years later, I only did opera, I didn't do theater at all anymore, and 20 years later, I run an opera company in Memphis. So, clearly something changed. What I found most curious, though, is that even though I had seen one opera, I was filled with biases against opera. It was going to be long, it was going to be boring, it was going to be too loud, the singers wouldn't be able to act, uh, everybody around me, top hats, monocles, the whole thing. But I'd only ever been to one, and it was nothing like that. So Where did I get those ideas from? And I realized I'd spent my whole life watching movies and TV that show opera as the shorthand for something boring that you don't want to be at. Uh, I'd also uh, watched enough depictions of one particular character that I'm guessing, uh, as as with most of you, if you close your eyes right now and I say the words, opera singer, the image that pops into your mind is some variant of her. (laughs) Which is fascinating to me. the most fascinating thing, this is an actual Valkyrie, this is who that's making fun of. Uh, the most fascinating thing, and there's, I'm sure there's a DMA thesis in here somewhere, is that those are feathers on her helmet, not horns like a Viking, because she's a Valkyrie. Uh, somehow these became horns. Our public image, our pop culture image of opera became this one thing, this one person. The reason for that is that this character is from uh, Wagner's Ring Cycle, one of the most successful and most fantastic works of art in human history. It was so successful that it came to represent all of opera, just like we don't internet search for something, we don't use facial tissues, and we don't put flexible bandages on our boo-boos. That one thing became the brand, uh, which is a problem. A quick detour into the fat lady singing thing, because that also goes along with this. Uh, If you think about any physical activity, sports, singing is a very physical activity, there's always a physique that's going to give you some natural advantages. And if you sing for a living, you want to have big lungs because you want to be able to sing for a long time without having to take a breath. You want to have a big head because your nasal cavities, your sinuses, that's what gives you resonance, that's what allows you to be heard over an orchestra of 40, 50, 80 people sawing away on their instruments in an auditorium this size, twice the size, three times this size. That's your job. Those things help. Now, you don't need to have those things, But if you do have those things, you have a natural advantage, but you're probably a larger person than average. So that little guy could definitely have a career in the NBA, but he will never have the same natural advantage as the guy standing next to him. But the reason I took the detour is, look at this woman, this woman is not fat. We live in a country where the average woman is a size 12 or a 14, but because we see TV and movies that are telling us that a pretty woman is a size 0, and her ugly friend is a size 2, or a size 0 who wears glasses, and then you take them off and she's the prom queen. That's the world we live in. Opera shows people as they are. That's the amazing thing about it, one of many amazing things about it, because I wear a 52-long jacket, and I fall in love, and I fall into rages, and I want vengeance on my enemies, just like any other opera character. (laughs) So that's just a very quick detour into how some of these biases got started, how some of these clichés got going. But that doesn't really answer the question of why so many people think opera sucks, even though they're not basing it on anything. And my theory is that a lot of it has to do with how we are told about the arts from a very young age. We're told that the arts are good for us. We're told that the arts are our vegetables, and as everybody knows, the vegetables are what you eat, so you get to get to the good stuff later. This is as far from the truth as anything could be. None of the arts are your vegetables. Opera certainly is not your vegetables. Opera is a fantastic bacon (laughs) cheeseburger, that when you bite into it, it's an intense, sensual experience, and the juices are dripping down and staining your shirt, and you do not care, because that's how good a burger it is. That is the opera that I fell in love with 20 years ago. That's the opera that most people don't know even exists. Uh, Speaking of not knowing it exists, a lot of people will say, well, what is opera? What's the actual definition? Opera is just a story told with words and music working together. Uh, Opera singers live in a world where instead of talking to communicate, they sing. You'll say, that sounds a lot like musical theater. You're exactly right. What's the difference? There is none. Anybody who tells you there is, is wrong, and I'm happy to do another TED Talk next year about that because that's how long it would take to get into it. So that's what opera is, but opera is also more than that. Uh, When I was in college, I was told that television is about character. We come back week after week to see these people that we've fallen in love with. Movies are about plot. We want to see what's going to happen next in this two-minute story that we're watching. And theater is about ideas. It's where we come together to wrestle with the big questions of our day. If all those are true, then it would be easy to say that opera is about emotion. However, it's about more than that because really it's about empathy. Somebody else used that word just a, a couple of talks ago. Adding music to words allows those words to circumvent our biases, to circumvent our logic. It goes straight to the gut. It goes straight to the heart. We don't think about it. What we do instead is feel what the person singing is feeling. No matter when that person was born, or what country they live in, or when their story is set, we feel as a community what they are feeling. So, opera exists at this intersection of music, words, and awesome. Uh, Michael, if you could join us on stage. Just to demonstrate what music does to words, I have in my hand the Wikipedia definition of a yo-yo. A yo-yo is a toy which in its simplest form is an object consisting of an axle connected to two discs. Michael, a little Puccini, if you please. A yo-yo is a toy which, in its simplest form, is an object consisting of an axle connected to two discs and a length of string looped around the axle, similar to a slender spool. It's a very sad (laughs) (laughs) yo-yo. So, uh, how about some anger? Opera does anger really well. This is the Queen of the Night's Vengeance Aria. a toy which in its simplest form is an object consisting of an axle connected to two discs and a length of string looped around the axle, similar to a slender spool. Thank you, Michael. So did I put some spin on those words? Absolutely. But the spin and the context all came from the music. So to give you an example of what we actually do, the tiniest slice of what we actually do. Uh, I've invited some of the singers we have working on 30 Days of Opera this year uh, to come and help. Uh, Chelsea here is going to be singing uh, a little tiny, tiny slice, a few lines of Pamina Zaria from the Magic Flute. Uh, She is someone, a young woman, who has fallen in love with a man in Act 1. In Act 2, she is afraid that she has lost him forever. She will never see him again. He doesn't love her anymore, and she is desolate. Oh wie Song like that. Thank you, Chelsea. So, The fact that she is a princess, the daughter of the Queen of the Night, and the guy who rescued her as a fairy-tale prince, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that this is a story that was written hundreds of years ago, with notes written hundreds of years ago. What opera does is allow us to feel what it feels like, or remind us what it feels like to think you have lost the person you love the most. Uh, Opera isn't always that serious. Uh, uh, Chrissy, why don't you join us on stage, if you would? Uh, So Chrissy is just going to quickly sing an even shorter excerpt from Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, uh, who also wrote Magic Flute. This is Carabino. He's a 14-year-old boy who has just discovered what hormones are as they course through his body. Uh, Yes, that is a woman singing the role. That is an old opera tradition called a pants role. Often, uh, a boy whose voice might have just changed would be played by a woman. Non so più cosa son, cosa faccio! Ma di fuoco ora non gli
0: ghiaccio! Ogni donna caggiare di colore! Ogni dona mi fa palpitare! Ogni donna mi fa palpitar! Ogni dona
2: mi fa palpitar! So again, opera is able to capture what it feels like to have that blood racing through your body when you see a woman, not even a pretty woman, any woman, because you're 14. (laughs) That music, those words capture it perfectly. They allow us to feel what it feels like. So if anything I've said here is at all uh, convincing, uh, what I would encourage you to do is go out and see an opera. Go see one. We ingest it a lot in little clips like we just did. Go see a full opera. And if you don't like it, you know what, go see another one, and then another one. Go see three, because nobody goes to see a movie and they don't like the very first movie they ever see, and says, you know what, movies just aren't for me. (laughs) Nobody does that. They do it with opera all the time. So go see a comic opera, go see a tragic opera, and go see an opera written in English in the past 20 years, or whatever your native language is. If you don't like any of those, you probably don't like opera. That's fine. God bless. There's a lot to do in Memphis. <laughs> if you're worried about what to dress, there's only one rule. Nothing that will get you thrown out of a Benegins should be worn to the opera. Otherwise, dress up if you like or not. In closing, Dane, if you could come on. Uh, you'll recognize this number. When I think of the future of opera in Memphis and America, I am filled with optimism. I know we will win because we are an art form that brings people together to hear voices that connect us and remind us that the things that make us the same are far, far greater than the things that make us different that are constantly being shoved down our throats by every other form of media. That is why we will win, and that is why we're going to sing about that. ba
1: you're happy with New Memphis Embark. Work-life balance. Do you know it? As young professionals, finding your happy place as a person and a professional in your career can be overwhelming. That's where New Memphis comes in. Through the New Memphis Embark program, you'll get reacquainted with the city we call home, learn to maintain love and enthusiasm for your career, and elevate your skills even while on the clock. Let New Memphis reinvigorate and amplify your love of living and working in Memphis. Find your happy with New Memphis and apply for Embark today. Visit newmemphis.org
0: for more information. All right, guys, we're back, and you just heard Ned Canty's TED Talk, Opera Doesn't Suck. Um, You got to hear exactly how dynamic he is, and if you want to see it live on stage, you can actually go to New Memphis' – actually, not New Memphis's YouTube channel. It is on the official TEDx YouTube channel. Just search Ned Canty TED Talk in the search bar, and his will come up, and you can see it live for yourself. Um, Ned, you talk – your talk was just so – Interesting to me because you incorporated those live performances Mm -hmm. on the stage. I just, how, like, I know it's opera, so maybe that was just instinctual for you to do that, but I found that having those real life examples was so impactful. Like, kind of what was your process of thinking there?
2: Oh, gosh. You know, one of the reasons I love my job is that I can't sing worth a damn. (laughs) I'm a terrible singer, I find singing terrifying. So I love being around it. I love being around that power of it. And I I believe that the best advertising for opera is opera. And that if you have stood 10 feet away or even sat in an audience 100 feet away from an opera singer really giving it their all, it is hard to ignore just the, the power of what they can do. And... You know, it's one thing to say, oh, you might like this. Try it. It's another to give people a sample of it. And, you know, as much as I might ding the media for throwing opera under the bus in commercials, the counterpart to that is that if opera wants you to feel or I'm sorry, if a commercial or a movie wants you to feel something, they use opera all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. They just don't show people in an opera house watching an opera. They just use the music. They cherry pick it. So I thought, why not remind people? of A, how much opera they've heard. They might not know it, but if you've watched television, if you've been to the movies, you have heard opera. So why not show them a little bit of what we're talking about and allow them to have that experience live in a non-threatening way that they've already paid for, uh, just as a bonus. They don't have to worry (laughs) about what to wear. They don't have to worry about any, any of it. They can just experience it and give them that little that little sample, that little taste. And I, I try never to pass up an opportunity to give people a taste of what it is we do.
0: Yeah, you definitely like provided like an opera mixtape of sorts, which was very <laughs> yes. like. As someone who's never been to a real opera, I've, I've of course like witness opera memphis's little spurts and programming around the city but i've never sat in a real opera so one of the things we were actually talking about earlier um before we started the show was i didn't know there was translations provided at opera till i watched your ted talk and when the operatic performers came on there were translations above them it i kind of and that got me to thinking what else people don't know are actually like what it's really like to attend an opera i think in so many instances, people get scared. Mm. And we've talked on that. I know Anna touched on it. You touched on it kind of, you know, it's associated with this like highbrow form of entertainment. You can't enjoy it. You're not fancy enough. But you brought it to a TED stage in the middle of people all dressed casually. And it was still just as effective. So I'm just kind of curious, like, is there anything else like that that just That accessibility just increases so much with things like, Mm. you know, a translation um, that would make people less fearful to come.
2: You know, I think the translation is is one of the biggest parts. You know, people think of opera as something that's in a foreign language. And, you know, we Mm -hmm. do about 30 to 40 percent of the operas we do are in English. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. The, and we commission a lot of operas. We commissioned, we're broadcasting here from Crosstown. We commissioned four operas set in the Crosstown building called, a project called Ghosts of Crosstown a few years back. So the, you know, I, I think the other main thing is that you don't need to dress up, but if you want to dress up, you can. People go to the opera in Khaki's. Uh, people go to the opera in jeans, people go to the opera in shorts. If it's the summer, you don't need to think of it as highfalutin in terms of that. But if you want to, you can, which is actually it's kind of a nice uh, a nice spread there. Uh, I think length is something people worry about is that it's uh you know, that it's it's just too long. Most of the operas we do range between eighty minutes and two hours, two hours fifteen. So they are shorter than the last Avengers movie, which was awesome, but still <laughs> yes. shorter. So good. Uh, and we have an intermission so you can go pee, unlike the Avengers movie. <laughs> there was um, no intermission in any There was in-game. no intermission, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, so you know, I think that's a big part of it. I think that the the other part of it is the story part. You know, I think people are so used to hearing just the music mm. and the music can move your emotions, but operas tell a story. Every one of them tells a story with characters, with with plots that are as compelling as uh, sometimes as weird as the plot of any Netflix show, any, any movie, any play, any novel. Uh, and often there, you know, these things are based on each other. You know, Rent is based on La Boheme, that story, the things that involve us with the story, the idea of being a young artist without means, but trying to live your truth. You know, this is, tr- this was true in New York in the nineties when Jonathan Larson wrote Rent. And he was inspired by a piece that was true When Puccini wrote it Mm -hmm. at the turn of the 20th century, and he was inspired by a series of stories that were written in the mid-19th century. So those things are true, have been true, will always be true. About what connect us. So I think that story part. And I think also uh, for me, you know, part of the reason why I try to be funny in these talks is that the thing that won me over to opera was comedy. Mm -hmm. Opera does comedy extraordinarily well. And if you don't believe me, watch The Rabbit of Seville because that music, the reason that that cartoon works so incredibly well is that Rossini's music is designed to make you laugh. It's designed to create opportunities for comedy. So, you know, if you are worried about opera, find out what's going on in any given year and figure out, well, I like, I like romantic comedies. <laughs> I should go see this opera. I like serious documentaries. I should go th- see this one, you know, like let it be about your taste because that's, uh, I guess, the final thing I would say is that there's a very broad spectrum of what operas are like, just like what movies are like or TV shows are like. And and within your tastes, you can usually find something within a year or two or a season or two for us that is going to be similar to stuff you already like.
1: That's such a, yeah, I, I, I never really thought of that analogy. But to say I don't like opera is almost as absurd as saying like, I don't like books. You yeah. know, you're like, well, what kind of books? I don't <laughs> like
2: movies. <I> don't <laughs> movies, I don't movies. Don't like movies. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, I think yeah. that, that's that's such a great way to put it and- again we we're, we're so grateful to have some uh, to to have an offer company in our community that wants to do that outreach mm-hmm. and not to be like oh well you don't think you like us <laughs> but to really try to break down those walls and help yes. explain to people how how they can love it so i guess you know how can people love it um, so as you look at your next year your next few months your next year um, whatever you guys have available where how how can people uh explore their future love of opera?
2: Sure. You know, what I would say is uh, as we get to a point where we could do more outdoor performances, uh, we're going to be doing uh, Knockwood, if all goes well. We're going to be doing an April version of 30 Days of Opera. That's another good month with 30 days in it. And the weather's (laughs) some of the best you'll get in Memphis Mm -hmm. all year long. So we're going to be doing a ton of outdoor performances. And this year, because of... The fact that we're coming off of a year where we couldn't gather inside, we are going to be doing some short operas, both for families and for adults that are, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes long that are full stories, you know, beginning, middle and end. And you can go and you can check one of those out. And if you like that. Well, then try something, you know, maybe a little bit longer when we do our full season in 21-22. And, you know, don't be afraid. I would say uh, I disagree with people who tell you learn the plot of the opera, study about it. I don't think you need any of that. If the opera's well done, you should experience it fresh and live in the space. That's, that's my belief, which is very different than a lot of people's, I, I will say. Uh, but do the research about what kind of opera it is. Because there are operas that are just rip-roaring, melodramatic, blood and guts. There are operas that are a little, uh, I don't know, a little more esoteric, a little more philosophical. And then there are operas uh, that are just there to make you laugh so hard that milk comes out of your nose. (laughs) And those are the ones I usually direct. Uh, So find out which one is which and then think about what you like and... And maybe buy a ticket for one of those. And if you've gone to a thirty days thing, one of the things we always do is we have these coupons at thirty days events. That if you come to one, we'll get you fifty percent off your first ticket to the opera. Oh, that's Uh, so yeah. So you know, it's not quite first ones free. We're not. We're uh, but it's it's pretty close. And since tickets start at ten dollars, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, about as close as you're going to get. I think
0: it's a good deal. (laughs) It's
2: pretty darn good deal. Yeah.
0: Um, In your talk, you said theater is about ideas, and that opera is about empathy and emotion. Mm -hmm. I kind of, since we have you here, what is it, do you think, about the opera and just musical theater in general? I know people sometimes like to separate the two, but as you mentioned in your talk, they're very much, they're not the same, but they're the same work, like in the same vein of work. Um, Kind of, you know, What do you think makes singing those words Mm -hmm. so much more impactful than just speaking them?
2: You know, music. Music.
0: Explain to us why music
2: works.
1: (laughs) Because (laughs) why (laughs) is music good? Forty-two. Why does music
0: make me cry?
2: (laughs) You know, I had I had a Shakespeare teacher uh, back in college who said that iambic pentameter works because that's the rhythm of your heartbeat, and (laughs) rhythm and music work because they're the full spectrum of what we hear in sounds. You know, baby cries, we have an emotional response. When someone is singing at the top of their register as high as they can, we hear the strain and we recognize in that an urgency, an emotion that really appeals to our our most basic core. We respond without thinking because we were designed to do that. That's how we evolved, was to respond to sounds in certain ways. And opera, musical theater, pop music, every kind of music, all of them use those things, use our psychology, use our our uh, physiology to make us to make us feel things, whether it's that we want to dance, we want to cry, we want to laugh, whatever, whatever it might be. And, you know, musical theater, uh, when people ask me what the difference is, and this might have evolved a little bit in the past four years, I think the best the best response that uh, I have heard, and that I now use, is: musical theater is a little bit more about the words, and opera is a little bit more about the music. So, you know, when you see uh, Nessun Dorma or some uh, some opera aria playing on a commercial, you feel something, even though you don't know what is being talked about. You don't know the context or the story. With musical theater, that is also true sometimes. We excerpt musical theater all the time. But it's a little bit more about what is being said. And, you know, that is a a good way to think about the spectrum of what we do. But if you like Les Mis, you already like opera. Mm -hmm. That is an opera. And if you like Mikado and you think you're an opera fan, you already like musical theater because that is a musical. And the reasons I won't I won't bore your listeners with uh, a full uh, exploration of how these two things split in America. But, you know, really, basically, one became a for profit Broadway initiative and one became a not for profit uh, theatrical initiative. And that's the only reason why these things are considered so different in America, as opposed to so many other countries where they are on an equal playing field, where you know, there's a phrase that they use in Europe, uh, which essentially translates as music theater. It's just not musical theater, like American musical theater, it's just theater that uses music to get the story across. And that's a, a way better word than we have mm. in, uh, in America to, to make this distinction.
0: No, I think that's fascinating. To as someone that like that loves musical theater um who hasn't been to an opera, I'm sorry. That's um to make but like it's a yeah. thing that like I've wanted to do, so I'm very excited mm-hmm. to have you guys hopefully fingers okay. crossed that you can't see me crossing on the radio, but that you guys can get back right. um at it hopefully in the next year, maybe not 2021, 2022. Um so that you know I think everything you said about you guys are just meeting people where they are Mm. with the opera. And I think that is very powerful. And it makes people who might be a little hesitant to be like, oh, I don't know if I'll understand if I go. (laughs) Or I think it just makes people more comfortable. So I'm very excited after having to outspread this 30 Days of Opera initiative into Mm -hmm. other months and other segments, how that's going to impact your viewership. I'm very excited. And hopefully it'll get more people coming to the opera.
2: Hopefully so. But, you know, I also would say that if – If the only opera somebody gets in the year is us singing Rossini's cat duet, which is all (laughs) meowing, if all they get is us singing that at the dog park in Overton Park, and that's what they get, and they love it, mission accomplished. You guys, we've done it. it. We would love for them to come see a full opera, but they don't need to do that. We're we're here to give them to meet them where they are and give them something that makes their life better and makes them love Memphis just two percent more.
1: Well, we love that. Well, good. Silver lining of 2020 and probably going to 2021. More very accessible opera coming at you in lots of different spaces. Ned, before we let you go, tell people how they can find your schedule, how they can get involved.
2: Sure. So if you go to operamemphis.org... Uh, You can get a calendar there. You can find out how to get one of these trailer concerts, a Sing to Me concert in your neighborhood, or how to donate one to first responders or a school, uh, any of those things. You could also find us on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com slash Opera Memphis, on Instagram, on Twitter at at Opera Memphis. Uh, I think we're on, I don't know, we're on all kinds of social media things that I'm too old to understand. Uh, Not TikTok yet, but we're getting there. Any minute now, we're going to be on TikTok. I would love
1: an opera that's TikTok so yeah. much. That's excellent project yeah. for like 2021 quarantine. We're working on it.
2: <laughs> we're working on it. We did our opera Meyer, our, our ode to Oscar Meyer Wieners uh, a few, oh, a few I- weeks back. <laughs> and, and that's about as TikTok as, as you can get without actually being on TikTok. So that, that's, that's definitely uh, pushing a little, uh, us a little bit forward. But, uh, but that's probably the best way. Or just come by and visit us once this thing's passed at uh, the corner of Kirby and Humphreys. My, my, I have the office on the corner with all the plants in it. So come in and say hey. <laughs>
1: Gorgeous space. Well, Ned Canty, we are so grateful to have you. You are a Memphis gem. Thank you for being with us.
2: Pleasure to be here. Thank
0: you. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. Just a few last minute New Memphis news and announcements. Apply for Embark. Our window is closing, but we want you young professionals that are listening. We want your talent and we want to help you grow your skill set. So please, please, please go to newmemphis.org slash dot oh slash nominate and you can apply for Embark today. Sorry, that was a little, I forgot a little bit. I was like, where am I sending people? Memphis.org
1: <laughs> backslash nominate. Yes. Um, also, as we're finishing up this year, um, we hope that you like what you heard today. We have been pouring ourselves into this project and are having so much fun talking to all of our amazing friends and leaders across Memphis and just hearing about their incredible projects. This is a great representation of the work that New Memphis does. We are a nonprofit that is working to elevate the voices of local leaders, develop local leaders, connect talent across all of these amazing sectors that are doing things here in our city. And at the end of the day, our mission is to make a more prosperous Memphis. It is to build a better future for our city, for everybody in our city. If that is a mission that makes sense to you, we want you to get involved. As Christy said, you can go to our website newmemphis.org and you can learn more about all of our programs. It's a great way to enrich yourself, meet new people and also Help us because you are being part of our work. The other way, again, is for for you to give. We're a nonprofit. We are fueled by the generosity of this community. So whether you are an individual, you're a foundation, you're a business, that is how we do our work, and that is how we make sure that this work is sustainable. Uh, obviously, this has been a funky year for everybody. If you're <laughs> That's a, a light
0: way to put yeah, it, <laughs> like,
1: if you're working in a nonprofit this year, we we have you in our hearts as well. Um, so if, if what New Memphis does, uh, is exciting to you, if shaping a brighter future for our city is something that's a priority to you, then I would love for you to put your money where your priorities are and make a donation to New Memphis. Uh, again, you can go to newmemphis.org and make a safe and secure gift there. Uh, and we thank you in advance. We thank you for being a part of our work. We thank you for listening, um. This is an important part of what we do, just sharing a great positive story, celebrating what's going well in our city. So the fact that you have listened in today is a (laughs) gift in and of itself.
0: Yes. And speaking of, we want to hear from you guys. We want you to tell us how we're doing. If you're liking what you hear, please consider calling in to leave us a voicemail. Um, Which interviews, you know, do you really enjoy? Did you learn something new about our city? We just want to hear it all. So please just give us a call at 901-460-460. 3031. Thank you for joining
1: us for this episode of Meanwhile in Memphis that will do it for us this week. Uh, this is a program brought to you by New Memphis in partnership with WYXR Radio and recorded here at OAM Networks. Thanks to all of you for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Bye.
0: Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR. Produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins-Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.